Um, so there used to be this really thriving industry in America. Buggy whips. Right? You had buggy whip companies. You had buggy whip buggies all over the place. You know, you crack them over a horse. Horse goes a little faster, works a little harder. But then something happened. Something changed. They invented the automobile. And you could crack the whip over that engine with all those horses in it, all that horsepower in it, all you want. Doesn't make it go faster. Doesn't make it work harder. Something changed that made the old obsolete. When we look at the buggy whip of the law, it's not that the law doesn't have a purpose. It's not that the law is not still very good at what it's supposed to do. It's that something came that made it obsolete. The gospel came. The gospel came and made the law obsolete. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And we're going to zero in on that. And we're going to zero in on the, the distinctions between the law or the, the, the difference between the law and now the ministry of the gospel, the ministry of the law with Moses and the ministry of the gospel. So we're working our way through 2 Corinthians and it opened up with this opening doxology, this opening praise statement, right? That we're blessing God because in the midst of our suffering, our purposeful suffering that God has given into our lives, God comforts us. He comforts us with his fatherhood. He comforts us with the sending of his son Jesus and being father of, of the Lord Jesus. And he comforts us with being the father of mercies who is the source of all the mercy we need for whatever we face. But he doesn't comfort us so that we can be reservoirs of his comfort. He comforts us so we can pour our, the comfort he gives us out into the lives of other people. And he comforts us to pry us away from the self-reliance we're all prone to and do a reliance on him. So opening doxology, and then there was this very brief section where he dealt with um, these charges against his integrity, mainly centering on he didn't keep his word to come back like he said he would. And so he gives a defense of his integrity, focused on the faithfulness of God, and then focused on, like, I didn't come because it wasn't time yet. With all the issues between us, if I'd come, I would have broken everything. So instead I wrote with a desire to bring reconciliation between us all. And then the last time that we were in 2 Corinthians, we moved into the first kind of major section of the book. And this major section of the book is answering the charge or answering the question that seems to have been pressed on him. Who do you think you are? What gives you the right to talk so boldly to us? What gives you the right to have such authority towards us? What gives you the right to tell us the things and command the things that you command out of us? Who do you think you are? And so they began with like, you want a letter of recommendation from me? Like You exist eternally because of the ministry of God through me. Like The Holy Spirit took the gospel and wrote a living letter over your heart because I showed up. There's a church because I was there. You're saved because I was there. You're my letter of recommendation. Now he moves into this, uh, he continues the argument that he kind of begun there and he talked about now, in that last section, he talked about the, these two things between the, the law and he kind of alludes to law and stone tablets and the gospel. And he's really going to zero in on that one point today in this section. He's going to zero in on the, the law and the gospel. And he's going to say, man, the law has such a glory. The law is glorious. It shows God off. But a brighter glory, a better glory has come. Let's read verses 7 through 11. 
Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if the glory in the ministry of condemnation, then the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Let's pray. Father, you are glorious. The heavens shout of your glory. The sky above tells of your handiwork. God, there is not a language, there is not a nation, there is not one tongue in which your glory is not being declared over all the earth by your creation. And yet there's a greater glory. There's the glory of the gospel. There's the glory of your son living his perfect life. There's the glory of the cross. There's the glory of the resurrection. There's the glory of the Holy Spirit applying that to our hearts and empowering us to, to share it with others, empowering us to serve others. There's a greater glory. I pray that you would show us that greater glory. That you would send us with that greater glory. That you would awaken us and let us see that greater glory and be changed into the image of Jesus from one degree of that glory to the next degree of that glory until you call us home. And so, Father, do beyond what my words could ever do. Do what your word that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and divides the thoughts and intents of the heart. God, do, do, do what your word can do. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the gospel ministry shows a greater glory than the law's ministry. The gospel's ministry shows a greater glory than the law. First, it offers life by the spirit versus death. It offers life by the spirit versus death. All right, so I'm going to see just a little quick theology test for everybody. See if you can complete this sentence. God the Father, God the Son, God the... the whole, there you go, see? Y'all have got this. Some groups take that last person and they put him on center stage with a spotlight on him. And it's all about the experiences and it's all about the, the feelings and the emotions that that Holy Spirit, that third person does. But his function isn't to take center stage. His function is to be the spotlight that shines on Jesus, not himself. But unless we get too hard on those groups, I think we have to look at ourselves, our group. Because we tend to take the third person of the Trinity, eternal God, the Holy Spirit, and treat him like he's some stepchild of the Trinity that kind of we should be scared of and we should kind of keep him out of view. And, and we act like that he's not God and we act like he doesn't have this vital purpose. We're scared of him, but he's God. He's God, the Holy Spirit. And so let's just think for a second, what is, what does God, the Holy Spirit do? What, what is his function? What is he about? And so, uh, let's just go through a couple of things in the word. God, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of a judgment to come. There's not one human being that you will ever enter into a conversation with that the Holy Spirit has not worked in their life to bring about conviction. 
of sin. To bring about the display of his righteousness. To bring about the, the understanding that there is a judgment to come. I don't care how much they try to erase it. How much they hate it. How much they rage against it. How much they defend against it. How much they ignore as if it doesn't exist. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. The Holy Spirit takes the teachings of Jesus and applies them and, and brings them to bear on the heart and mind of the believer. The Holy Spirit takes a, a, a spotlight and he just shows and he points to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit takes you and makes you a sanctuary, a temple of the living God. God himself lives inside of you to make you a holy place. And wherever you go, the sanctuary goes. Wherever you go, the holy place goes. Wherever you walk, the temple of God walks there because you are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God lives inside of you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to take dead people and make them live again. To take people who have a veil of Satan blinding their hearts and minds to the glory of the gospel in the face of Christ. It blinds them from that. And rips that veil off to see, to be unblinded, to be blinded by the glory of God. The Holy Spirit does that. It's kind of important what the Holy Spirit does. There is no ministry, there is no genuine ministry that we can affect. There is no genuine ministry towards each other in the body of Christ because the the Holy Spirit gifts us for ministry, the spiritual gifts that we have. And there is no ministry we can have to the lost world without the active involvement of the Holy Spirit. No such thing. In fact, in this text, the distinguishing mark between the ministry of the law and the ministry of the gospel and the work of Christ is that the ministry of the gospel is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Kind of important stuff. So let's dive in and let's see this life-giving ministry that comes from the ministry of the Holy Spirit versus the death ministry. And so in verses 1 through 6, he has given some allusions to the Old Testament law, like in verse 3, uh, it talks about the tablets of stone. And in verse 6, he talks about the letter that kills, that's the letter of the law that kills, versus the spirit that gives life. And then he's going to zoom in and, and focus on that here. And so look at, at, at the text. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stones comes with this glory, but I think we got to stop here for a second. We've got to think about that, right? Because if we're not careful... We might think that Paul's view of the law is extremely negative. We might think that Paul's like, let's tear up the Old Testament. Let's tear up the law. Let's throw that out because the gospel has come. You know, because generally when we see, okay, it's the ministry of death, we're thinking that's not a good thing, right? But it is the justified ministry of a justified death and it has glory. And in Romans chapter 7, when Paul talks about the law, he's like, it is holy. It is righteous. It is good. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The the law is good. There's not a problem with the law. The law says this is who God is. The law says this is the character of God. This is what the holiness of God looks like. This is what the glory of God looks like. This is what the beauty of God looks like. Here is his perfect, wonderful, beautiful holiness. That's what the law says. Look, look at the God who wrote it. That's what he's like. The law comes with glory. The ministry of death comes with glory. He says, look at God. He's so perfect. The flaw is not with the law. The flaw was with the human hearts that heard the law. See, the law is the perfect standard and the perfect display of the beauty of God. It is the rebellious human heart that encounters that, that is killed by it. 
rightfully killed by it. Rightfully killed by it. We don't deserve anything but this death. Because it hits a rebellious heart. And that rebellious dead heart chained to sin hates it, rejects it, cannot possibly keep it. And so it's a ministry of death in that it hits a rebellious heart. And it shows the rebellion of the heart. And it seals the rebellion of the heart under death. So the ministry of the law, the ministry of death carved in letters of stones came with glory. But it wasn't God's final revelation. Is it wasn't God's final answer to the question of human sin and the question of human separation. He even promised in the Old Testament a new covenant that was to come. Jeremiah 31, 31 and following, if you want to write that down. I will put my law in them. I will write it on the tablets of their heart. I will be their God. They will be my people. For I will forgive their iniquities. Write this down if you want. Ezekiel 11, 19 19 and 20. I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit in them. The Holy Spirit. Don't be scared. I'll put a new spirit in them and I will remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes. So we have this ministry carved on tablets of stone that produces death and it came with a glory. It came with a display of God. It came with a display of God's perfection and God's worth and God's majesty. Even though it rightfully killed people. And so if that law came with a glory, how much more will this new ministry, this gospel ministry of the Spirit that gives life, have a glory? Then they go on and he talks about this ministry on stones where the Israelites, or Moses' face had this glory and the Israelites couldn't bear to look on his face because of the glory. Uh, let me give you the reference to that. Exodus thirty-three, eighteen and following. And so Moses goes up onto the mountain to get the law of God. I think this is the second time. And he comes back from being in the presence of God and he comes back with the residue of God's glory on his face and his face shines. But he comes back to a rebellious people. He comes back to a stiff-necked, hard-hearted, obstinate, rebellious people. And seeing the glory of God, even refracted from the face of Moses, even uh, diminished, or even kind of just the residue of it on the face of Moses, terrifies them, and they can't even gaze at him. And so Moses has to veil his face. You see, glory, when it encounters rebellion, is an extremely dangerous thing. To see the beauty and the perfection and the worth and the greatness and the majesty of God with a rebellious heart is a deadly thing. And that's what he's illustrating here. Is the glory of God on the face of Moses that came to a rebellious people terrified them. And it should. Because you don't play with the majesty and the worth and the greatness and the glory of God. You don't play with that. It crushes you. It kills you. No man can look on my glory and live, it says in the same section of of Exodus. Because Moses is like, let me see your glory, God. I want to see your glory. And God's like, if you were to see it, it would kill you. And so here's what I'll do. I'll hide you and cut out of the rock and I will pass before you. And then I will uncover you so that you can see just the tail and the back part of my glory. And he sees that and he's changed forever by it. If you were to see the glory of God with your rebel heart, you would be crushed by it.
It is a rightful death that the ministry of the law gives. It is not a flaw within God. It is not a flaw that, that the law was wrong. And so ministry one, ministry of death. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Ministry two. Ministry two is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, this heightened contrast of the ministry of Paul. Here's my ministry. Here's what gives me boldness. Here's what gives me the right to press this on your heart. If that ministry had a glory that terrified people and it killed people, how much more? How much more will, the, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? The Holy Spirit takes the gospel and it allows us to see the glory of God without being crushed by it. The Holy Spirit takes and applies the work of Jesus to our hearts. He unblinds our hearts. He awakens our hearts. He lets us see the glory of Jesus and not be destroyed by that glory. Not be killed immediately, broken into pieces and disintegrated by that glory. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Does that not have a greater glory? See, the key to the New Testament ministry is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How will not the ministry of the Spirit, the life-giving ministry of the Spirit, the glory allowing us to see ministry of the Spirit, the taking us from death and making us alive ministry of the Spirit, how will that not have more glory? If there's a brightness to this law, how much more is the brightness of the Spirit? If there's a brightness to a rightful death under the law, how much more will there be a brightness to the life-giving ministry of the Spirit by the gospel? You see that contrast? You see what he's saying there? In verse 3, you are the letter written by the Spirit of the living God on human hearts. That's you because the gospel ministry has gotten to you. That's in, in verse 3 as he talks about the ministry of the Spirit. In verse 6, you are made ministers of the Spirit... And then here, in verse 8, the ministry of the Spirit has much more glory than the ministry of the law. So we have this empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit that equips you to serve God, to see God and live. We have this empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit that sends you on mission with power. The power to be his witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to the uttermost part, uh, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. You have a power to minister and you have a power to be on God's mission. You're made alive by the Holy Spirit. He takes dead people like you and dead people like me and he makes us live. Is that not greater than the ministry of death. Is that not a better ministry? God lives in you and he makes you holy. God lives in you and he empowers you for ministry. God lives in you and he empowers you for the mission of God. It is a better glory to be alive by the Spirit versus death under the law. Second step, the ministry of the gospel gives us righteousness versus condemnation. The ministry of the law gives us righteousness versus condemnation. There is a universal need to be righteous. There's not one human being on this planet that does not desire to be righteous. And you're thinking, I don't believe that. Have you seen the news lately? I don't believe it. There's a universal need to be righteous. Here's how it looks. 
something is wrong, I blow it, somebody calls me out, or, or just in the quiet moments of my life, my conscience accuses me, and what do I go in to do? You ever met a human being that does not have a list of excuses for everything that they potentially have done wrong? Right? So we're great at manufacturing excuses. Oh, I was just tired. Oh, I just had a stressful day at work. Oh, I had tests this week. I am filled with excuses that make everything I do seem fine and right. Why? Because I need to feel like I'm right. Or, if my excuses fail, then I'll just minimize it. It wasn't that big deal. I just lost my temper a little. It wasn't that big deal. It was a little white lie. It's not that big a deal. I can minimize my my sins and my failures because I need to be right. You guys do this at home, don't you? Husbands and wives... If you're in a relationship, you do this, right? Mine's real small, but guess what? When she does it, it's big, right? We can minimize our sins. We can maximize the sins of others. Or we can blame shift, right? Y'all are good at that, and I'm good at that, aren't we? I see something I've done wrong. I know I'm messing up. But honey, don't you remember what you did six months ago? When you left the toilet seat up? Do you remember what you did all those months ago that really blew it? We shift the blame onto someone else. Or if everything else fails, I'm going to just work really hard to pay back and make it up to the person I've wronged. Whether it be God, I'm going to just work real hard for God and then I'll be okay with God and I'll earn back all these times I've blown it with God and we'll be okay. Or with my spouse or with my kids, I'll just buy them something. If I buy them something really good, it'll kind of erase the, you know, that, that, that moment where I blew up at them. Because we all need to be justified. I'm personally convinced that where we stand politically in this nation and culturally in this nation is in large part a means of self-justification. Here's what I mean. I need to be right. And so I hate you if you disagree with me politically. I hate you if you disagree with me culturally. Why? Because my political views are a way I justify myself. I'm on the right side of the issue, and that may be a more progressive side of the issue. I am. I have to fight, and I have to hate you if you disagree with me, because in part, I'm right, and I'm righteous, because I hold the right set of political views and cultural views on the subjects of the day. Or if I'm more conservative-leaning, I'm righteous. Why? Because my politics are right. I'm, I'm righteous. Why? Because I see the right side of the cultural issues of our day. And I'm on the right side, so I'm justified. And that is the human need for righteousness. Or I eat organic, non-GMO, BPA-free stuff, and I'm right because of it. It's the human need for justification. It's universal. Somebody has to pay for this stuff. And so either I have to pay for it by working hard and believing the right political and cultural opinions, or, or I have to work really hard for God, or I have to work really hard for other people, or I self-loathe, or I feel guilty all the time because I need to be right. Just. Or you have to pay for it. I have to give you the cold shoulder. I have to give you my hot wrath. I have to keep you at a distance till you've paid back the sin against me. There's a universal need for righteousness. We are guilty. But there's a cross. Payment must be made. So there's a cross. And no longer do I have to pay God back. He has taken it and finished it on the cross. And now I am righteous. I don't have to earn righteousness. I don't have to work really hard for God to be righteous. Righteous. 
I don't have to keep all the commandments to be righteous. Jesus died on a cross and God just says, righteous. And now, I get to just go live like who he's made me to be. Declared righteous. And I get to go seek by the power of the Holy Spirit to live righteous. And no longer can the accusing thoughts of my heart get the final word. And no longer do I have to blame somebody else. No longer have to exact payment. Now I can just simply receive and remind myself, I am righteous. Even when I don't feel it. I am righteous because of the cross. That's the work of Jesus. Let's look at it in this text. Now, 4 verse 9, if there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation, don't miss that. There is a glory in the ministry of the law. There is a ministry in the glory, uh, the, there is a glory in the ministry of death. There's a glory in the ministry that brings condemnation. There's a, a rightful death that comes. Now I want you to think about this. What does God owe us? Nothing. God had one command in the beginning of all times with Adam and Eve. One command. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything's very good. Everything's perfect. Relationship with God is perfect. Relationship with each other is perfect. Don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's the, what's the end of that? For the day you eat it, you will surely die. What does God owe you? Death. The only promise he ever made, the only attachment to the human condition that he made. You eat it, you die. He doesn't owe salvation to the people in Africa. He doesn't owe salvation to the people in the Middle East. He doesn't owe salvation to the people of Statesboro. He owes death. That's his only obligation. Now, we got to get that right because we're going to start reversing things in, the, in our minds if we're like, how could God send people down? How could God let people go to heaven or go to hell? No, the, the right question to ask of God is how in the world would he ever save anybody and let them live in his presence forever? That's the only question we should ever ask of God. That's the only rightful question. There is a ministry of condemnation, and that's all he owes humanity. And yet, he would send his son and kill him. So that the final ministry and the final offer was not death and eternal condemnation. But that the offer was righteousness. And if we don't get that right in our minds, we will think something evil of the character of God. When there are people who fill up an eternity separated from him under his wrath. And we'll, we'll be tempted to think there's something unrighteous in God. No, there is something so astounding about grace that we would ever ever be given the potential for righteousness and eternity with him. That's the amazing thing. Not that people would go to hell. The amazing thing is that anybody would ever even have a chance or potential to spend eternity in his presence in heaven. There's a glory to the ministry of condemnation. There's a glory to the ministry of condemnation. The law is perfect. The law demands perfection. The law is the standard, the beauty of the glory of God. It's the law. But the human heart is dead. The human heart is rebellious and the human heart is enslaved to sin. And so the law can only produce condemnation in your life. And it can only produce condemnation in mine. So I'm just sitting there thinking, Chris, why do you keep going back to it? You've got the ministry of righteousness. You've got the gospel. You've been made right with God through the work of Jesus. Why do I keep going back to try to live according to the law? My God... If I just had the right quiet time, that stuff wouldn't have happened. And God, see all these things I did this past week? I went on a mission trip. 
Shouldn't you be pretty happy with me? God, that's how I was away from my family on Easter. You should be really happy. You should be really jazzed with Chris right now. And isn't that what you do? My God, look at all the good things I've done. Look at the ministries I'm a part of. Look how I serve. Why do we go back into law-based ministry when a greater glory has come? The declared righteous ministry of the Son of God on our lives. And we don't have to earn it anymore. We can't earn it. We're given it. So there's a law and a perfect standard. And that perfect standard can only lead to condemnation in your life. And it can only lead to condemnation in my life. But there's another ministry. There's a greater glory ministry. Let's look at it in the text. The ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. The ministry that takes dead people and makes them alive. The ministry that takes enemies and makes them adopted sons and daughters. The ministry that takes the guilty and declares them innocent. It's got to have a greater glory. It's got to have a better glory. And it does. How is it possible? 100% based on the finished work of Jesus at the cross. That's the only way. We deserve death. And Jesus died in our place on a cross. We've sinned and separated ourselves from God. And Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, conformed to the will of the Father in every single thing, in every single moment, in every single emotion, in every single reaction, in every single thought of all of his entire life. And he did that to grant it to us. We deserve eternal condemnation and punishment. But he rose again from the dead so that he went to the cross and he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God in him. And he rose again to say there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so there's this glory, glorious exchange that happens on the cross. He takes the filthy, dirty, mud-caked garments of our sin and he strips them off of us. And miracle of wonder and wonder of all wonders, he takes it and he wears it himself to the cross. And then he takes the perfect, bright, glorious, spotless, righteous robes of his own off and puts it on us in its place. He took our place. He, the perfect Son of God, became sin so that you, the rebellious enemy of God, could become Righteous. That's a greater glory. That's the kind of ministry that should make us not be so quiet in church. We get excited every once in a while, right? It comes with a greater glory. I want to just read for you a passage because you might be tempted and I might be tempted. Man, this is all about us. This cross. How beautiful. Look how much God loves us. This cross. How wonderful. Look what God would do for us. And you might be tempted to think that. You might be tempted to think that you're the reason. I might be tempted to think that I'm the reason. So listen to Ezekiel 20, uh, 36, 22 through 37. You ready for this? It's in the Bible. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake. It is not 
for your sake that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name that you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among all the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. And through you, I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I'll sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Holy Spirit. A new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. And to be careful to obey all my rules. Why did God do the cross? Why did God slay his son? For you? For me, or for the sake of his holy name. For the glory of God, God chose salvation. For the beauty and majesty and worth and greatness of his own name, God chose salvation. Yes, the law was the defining relationship of the past, but the law is no longer the defining, the, the, the defining way he relates to people. It is now by the gospel, it is now by the work of the cross. Why? For the sake of his own holy name. For the sake of his glory. He saves. And so he replaces a law that condemns and it shows his glory to justly condemn mankind. And he replaces it with a gospel, a salvation. And salvation becomes the defining way he relates to people now. The gospel, the ministry of the, of the Holy Spirit that makes us righteous displays a greater glory. In Ephesians 2, it talks about that we should be That we should show for all the ages to come the riches of his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We are trophies of his glory for all eternity because we're trophies of his grace for all eternity. That shows his glory. And that has a glory that is so much brighter than the glory that condemns. So much brighter. You are clean if you're in Jesus. You are righteous. If you are in Jesus, you are righteous regardless of how you spent this weekend. If you're in Jesus, you are righteous regardless of the wars and fights that are raged in your home this weekend because of Jesus. You are righteous despite the selfishness that consumes your heart and that consumes my heart. We are righteous. Not because we earn it, not because we live up to it. Not because we shift the blame to other people. Not because we have a good excuse before God. We're righteous because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's a better glory. A glory that makes us righteous, not condemned. Last step in this process, the gospel has a greater glory because it is eternal versus temporary. It is eternal versus temporary. I imagine we've all done this. We've walked over to this big store called Walmart, right? And I'm picking on them. They just happen to be around. And we've gone and we're like, I got to get a DVD player. My DVD player burnt out, man. I got to go get a new one. And we find one and we're like, 10 bucks. I can't pronounce the name of this thing, but it's only 10 bucks. And we buy it, don't we? Like I take it home and it plays a movie or two. And then, you know, one of the buttons stops working. Play another video or two and the remote stops working. Play another video or two and won't give it back out. How do I get it out? Because we get what we pay for, right? 
Or we can take our time and research it to a little bit and find one that's of a good quality. And yeah, it costs a little bit more. Ten bucks is a little on the cheap side. It costs a little bit more. But you know what? A better picture comes out. It lasts a lot longer. Instead of buying four of these cheap things, I just bought one. And I don't have to, you know, lose my religion because it ate my favorite disc. Right? We pay a little bit more for what lasts. The ministry that is entrusted to you and the ministry entrusted to me is infinitely valuable. In part, why? Because it lasts forever. It lasts forever. Man, you might spend 30 years at your company and they'd give you a gold watch for it. Mine's silver and y'all didn't give this to me. I guess I have a few years to go. But you're forgotten after that, aren't you? If you'll spend your entire life serving and sharing with two people and investing in two people and discipling two people, you'll be making deposits in eternity with the eternal pay that comes with it. And so I just want to challenge you as people, just like I want to challenge me. Don't live a no-name life. That off-brand that you can't pronounce. Don't live a life like that. Don't give your whole life over to stuff that's wasted and doesn't matter. Your whole life to stuff that wears out and then you got to go do it again and start over their whole life living for something that doesn't last. Living for something that doesn't matter. And then the insanity of all insanities, we go buy it again and think it's going to work the next time. Don't live a no-name life. I challenge you and challenge me. Let's live a name-brand life. The name brand of Jesus Christ, the one who has got an eternal ministry with an eternal gospel that makes an eternal difference in the lives of people. It's got a better glory. It's permanent. That's the challenge. Look at the text as we begin to close out. And so the spirit writes a ministry of life on dead, dead hearts. The spirit gives righteousness in the place of condemnation. And then the last brightness, this last greater glory he has a ministry that lasts, that's permanent versus what is temporary. And look how he, he says this. It's got this glory so that, w- that what once had glory has come to have no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. What is he saying? He's saying there's this glory to the law, this beauty of the law, but you almost can't even see it anymore because of the greater glory of the gospel that has come. Here's how I was kind of thinking about this as I was trying to give you an example to think about. I've got this really great tactical flashlight. Not because I'm tactical, but mainly because somebody gave it to me. And it's a really great flashlight. I can stand on my back porch and I can turn it on at night and I can like light up the woods behind my house. It's great. Love it. If I were to shine it in your eyes at night, you'd be blinded. Great light. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I could even, you know, it's got these things on that. I could like pop you with it and it wouldn't even mess up the flashlight. I wouldn't do that. But it's a great flashlight. That's my only point. But then this, stupid's a bad word, this dumb piece of junk, I walk outside, middle of the day, I turn it on and I can't even hardly see it at my feet. What a piece of junk flashlight! Is the problem with the flashlight? No, a brighter light has come. Is there a problem with the law? No, it does to what it's supposed to do. It shows the glory of God and his holy character. It shows us our need for salvation because we can't keep the standard. It's great! So why doesn't it have any glory? It does. It's just that a brighter light has come. And you can't see it anymore. Because the blinding brightness of the glory of the gospel is so much better. It's like you can't even see the glory of the law anymore. It's so dimmed in comparison. And that's what he says in in this verse as he's wrapping up. 
What had glory has come to have no glory at all. Why? Because of the glory. Because of the brightness that has surpassed it. For what is being brought to an end came with glory. It's the same word from verse 7. That which is uh, becoming inoperative. That which is being annulled. That which is temporary and passing away. Right? If, if that had glory, even though it was temporary, because it could only condemn and God's purpose was to save. So it was always going to be temporary. It was always going to be a placeholder for the gospel. And since that which had a temporary, going to become inoperative one day, if that had a glory, how much glory comes from that which is permanent, which is the gospel? If an annulled law has a glory, how much glory does the gospel have? How long will the gospel last? How long will the grace of God last? Eternity. As long as there is a Jesus... The gospel will hold. As long as Jesus remains Jesus, which is forever, the gospel will hold. The gospel will do its work. The gospel will secure you eternally as long as Jesus holds out. And I got no doubt Jesus is holding out. Because when you think about the end of time, he's coming on a horse. And all the wonders of humanity and all the amassed weapons of humanity will gather up together. And we're going to take him down. What's it going to take? He will open his mouth, Revelation 19. And a sword will come out of his mouth and strike the nations so that blood fills up to the horse's bridle. And that's all the amassed a rebellion of humanity in one place against him. I've got good confidence he's going to last forever. So I've got good confidence his gospel in my life and his gospel that secures my eternity is going to last forever. And I've got good confidence that a hand that is sovereign and omnipotent that grabs me is not something I can unfold because I'm not quite good enough. But it's also not something that anybody else can take off of me either. And so I believe that as long, and I'm confident that as long as Jesus lasts, as long as Jesus is sovereign, as long as Jesus is all-powerful, my salvation is intact, and yours is too. You think he could just jump out of his hand all of a sudden? Like, did did he lose his grip? No. You think he could really blow it enough? Like, to... To overthrow the cross, that's how bad you'd have to sin. Like you could just overthrow the cross. You, you really think you could just do that? Or is your salvation so secure that you can't, nobody else can't, and Satan can't undo one little finger of Jesus from his grasp of you? As long as Jesus lasts, your salvation will last too. And that's forever. That's permanent. That's a brighter glory than what was temporary, what condemned, what was being brought to an end. Let's look at a few practical things as we close out. First, believe on Jesus alone to save you. I mean that. Like, I've been in church. I know believe in Jesus only. Do you live it? Do you live like it's Jesus that saved you? Or do you live like, no, I'm going to save me by doing the kind of things I'm supposed to do today. Or maybe you've sat through church all your life. Maybe it's your first time ever hearing it. And you've believed, you haven't ever believed in Jesus to save you. You've believed in religion to save you. You've believed in being a member of a Baptist church to save you. You've believed in giving your money to save you. You've believed in, you know, good religious service and works and activities and VBSs and camps and all this other stuff to save you. But have you ever believed in Jesus Christ to save you? Because it's only the ministry of the, it's only the ministry of the Holy Spirit 
that applies the word of God and the gospel of God to our hearts to show us Jesus. That's the only thing that saves people. It's not your good works just because your good works happen to be in church. And maybe you've never been part of a church and maybe this is all foreign to you and maybe you're like, I don't care anything about that stuff. I'm going to live how I want to live. There's still a Jesus who is pursuing you. There's still a gospel that can come after you. There's still a gospel that can arrest you, unblind you, and save you. Believe in Jesus only to save you. Second step, serve others in the power of the Holy Spirit. Serve others in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't step into ministry by yourself. Like, look, I'm pretty good at serving, or I'm pretty good at speaking, or I'm pretty good at doing things behind the scenes, or I'm pretty good at at doing things in front of people. Don't go do your ministry by yourself. The ministry that's been entrusted to you is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Abide in me, you'll bear much fruit, Jesus says. So don't you dare go into your ministry with with the Holy Spirit. I I, I think I got this, God. I'll, I'll call if I need you. You won't make a difference in anybody's life. You won't build up the body that way. And certainly don't you dare go into the mission of God. Apart from the Holy Spirit of God. You aren't that clever. I'm definitely not that clever. That I'm going to somehow have the magic words that tear the veil of Satan off of a human heart. That I somehow have the magic words that can strip off the chains of sin that enslave every human being on earth. They can take the rebellion out of their heart because I have some good enough words prepared. Your mission, you're loving your neighbor. You're loving the people at the ball field. Your mission of going to class in the name of Jesus. Your mission of serving and sharing the gospel with people. It has nothing to offer apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit takes the Word of God, or the, the, Jesus takes the Spirit of God and the Word of God through the people of God to make a difference on each other's lives and a difference on the world. And so go serve and go share, not by law, not by good works, not trying to earn the favor of God. He already loves you. That's taken care of. He already accepts you. Taken care of. You're already righteous. That's taken care of. So go serve and share as one empowered by the Holy Spirit. Last step. Ministry, ministry in Jesus' name lasts forever. Ministry in Jesus' name lasts forever. I think that's a pretty good return on investment. You can spend your whole life climbing some ladder. Or you can spend your life climbing a ladder in Jesus' name. One may get you a good bank account. It may not, but it may. One may get you, you know, 2.5 kids, and you should be fruitful and multiply. One may get you a white picket fence and a great house. But one... To the simple plotting overtime investment in the lives of people, loving in the lives of people, will deposit in eternity something that will last forever. I just want to challenge you. Don't do the no-name, worn-out kind of life. Do the Jesus-name-brand kind of life that stamps eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a greater glory than what we could produce with effort Thank you for a greater salvation that that is greater than our rebellion and it's greater than our self-righteousness and it's greater than our failures and it's greater than our successes. Thank you for a greater glory in the gospel that saves us, that strips away our condemnation and places righteousness in its place, that strips away what is temporary and puts what is permanent and eternal over us. God, that strips away death. And brings life. Thank you for a greater 
glory. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.